From the Vaults, audio from Edmonton's past. This cassette recording from the Voices of Old Strathclona Project is an interview of Mabel Geary on March 19th, 1992, and was digitized in May 2022. This is Joan Ivany from the Old Strathcona Foundation talking to Miss Mabel Geary at her home in Edmonton on Thursday, March 19th, 1992. To introduce yourself, would you tell me where you live now, who your parents were, and where and when you were born? Yes, where I live now, Mrs. Ivany, uh, Ivany is uh, a home that Mr. Uh, press, uh, Mr. Ernest Manning built uh, when he was in the government in 1935. He built this home about 1937 or 8. And uh, I'm about the third or fourth owner of it. So I'm enjoying this very nice home that uh, was built by uh, the former Premier of Alberta. I don't think it's been <laughs> considered historic yet, but I noticed Preston had a picture, had a video taken, and he showed the place where he had been born, or uh, near where he was probably born in the hospital, but he lived here as a child. Uh, but my my own people, my father, came from England about 1903, and mother boasted of the fact that she was a Canadian of seven or eight generations Canadian, but with an ba- Irish background. Mother was born in Manitoba, uh, and they came to Alberta as a young married couple with a little girl, baby, which was me, uh, in 1909, as far as I know. Uh, that is our background, as far as for mine. And I'm proud to say that they... Um, well, when they came to Edmonton first, I think they went, they were on the north side. At Kilistina Avenue, they had a shop. You see, my father and my uncle came out from England together and worked for a short time for farmers in Manitoba. But Go West, young man, uh, appealed, and uh, they took on the business that they had learned as children, or as young men, uh, from their father. He was a... Um, Grandpa Geary had been a, a provisioner and meat market it had that in, in England, and uh, the boys had learned the trade from their father. And as a matter of fact, uh, they seemed to want to do that kind of work when they came to Canada. So they left the farming. <laughs> uh, but, but they were employed by farmers for a few months, I think, and then went to this business. Would you tell us where the shop was? Well, they decided apparently to come to the south side. Uncle Fred and my dad, John Geary, uh, they were very close as brothers. There was three boys in that family, uh, of the second family. My grandfather married twice, and uh, uh, but the, the two older ones, John Geary and Fred Geary, always seemed to be very much buddies together. And Harold was, they were all ex- enjoyed each other, but he was sort of a, more of a loner. But John and Fred had a shop on White Avenue, 101, uh, corner of, of um, White Avenue and 101st uh, Street. And uh, uh, they seemed to be well respected, as I remember Uncle Fred giving me a paper, I think it was about 1911, 1912, no, about 1913, saying about uh, all the shops on, the, on White Avenue. And uh, the Geary shop was uh, operated by two successful uh, butchers uh, who had been well trained in England. And and they've had a very nice remarks about how uh, clean the shop was and uh, uh, good quality of meat was sold, etc. <laughs> uh, and then I think it was uh, 
Well, the the, uh, the uh, three Geary men married Canadian women, and about 1913, 1912, you know, was quite a, well, things were, good in Edmonton. Uh, and in 1913, the three men put their monies together and uh, invited their parents to come to Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, I can remember uh, this was a big event. I was about uh, five by this time, old enough to take on some of the things that were going along around. And uh, I was literally the oldest grandchild on both sides of the family for a while, uh, like of the second Geary family. And uh, Grandma Geary, of course, thought I was a very uh, a special person. And uh, she was such a petite, tiny little woman. Uh, but uh, Grandpa, and they came here in, um, I think it was April, and they left in May, in August. They spent about three months in Canada. So the Geary's made a point to show them all they could, of course. Grandpa went, they went to the fair one time, and they were going to have a supper there. And somebody was going to serve to bring out a meat, uh, you know, plate with meat, uh, plate served with food on. And Grandpa said, uh, bring me the joint so that I can do the cutting. He believed in cutting the meat himself, so I think it embarrassed his family. <laughs> Uh, Getting back to the uh, meat market, yeah. um, the two boys worked in the meat market. I believe it was called the Geary Brothers. Yeah, Geary Brothers Meat, meat market. market. Yeah. Now, would your mother ever have worked in that? No. My, oh, no, not in those days. No. Uh, uh, Auntie Jessie managed the books, and mother, well, she, she, some, no, I don't think she ever did anything uh, other than keep house at that point. That was what was... Uh, expected of a woman <laughs> in those days. Yes. So, um, how long did they have this meat market? Well, actually, the uh, it was. Uh, of course, I have to guess the dates a little bit. The um, war started in 1914, and prior when the grandparents were out, we were living on what they call Third Avenue East. Well, that's somewhere in the Ritchie district. And then we moved to Bonnie Doon, right across from the Catholic uh, uh, church, uh, Catholic College. And there was two houses there, uh, Albright's and Geary's. And all the rest was a hayfield around uh, from, uh, would it be like... Um, 84th Avenue to White Avenue. I can remember playing in the hay, uh, we kids around there. And it was during the, that time that the shop uh, had, uh, there was a fire uh, in, they, there was a, a livery barn just uh, east of where the shop was uh, on White Avenue. And Mr. Chapman, Bud Chapman as they called him, uh, he told me that uh, it was a livery barn that was on the corner and Geary's shop was next. And I don't know whether our people bought the property on the corner then because we, uh, when the shop was rebuilt, the livery barn wasn't there anymore. And, uh, and apparently some fire in the hay or something caught uh, and, and then the wind blew into the shop and and for a short time, I don't know how long it was, the uh, Geary's had a shop in another place, but they kept that property, must have bought it, uh, had the property in the first place, and had the shop rebuilt. And that went on till, see, we moved to the farm in 1918, simply because uh, uh, there wasn't enough uh, income for two families. And while my father took meat to farmers in Clover Bar, he used to have a Democrat, which he had a, a box fitted on the back for him to put meat in. And the farmers, of course, liked this butcher that would come and deliver big roasts and whatnot to them during the spring 
uh, work and they fall and they um, harvest time because there's no refrigeration in those days. It was nice to have meat for the mm -hmm. farmers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's... Democrat was pulled by a horse? Oh yes, yes. we had horses. Mm -hmm. uh, oh, that reminds me when the grandparents came from England. There was a Mr. Hmm. Shepherd who had a car on the south side and they had them, him, ta meet the train and take Grandpa and Grandma down uh, to our home uh, in this car. That was 1913. Uh, wasn't many cars in play happening then. No, certainly. When you look back at your childhood years, were they happy years? Uh, how, do, yeah. how do you remember them? I, uh, I sort of was in the middle of things, I suppose, because I was... Um, my sister's four years younger. There's a there's still a house on White Ave on 99th Street. It's uh, just off White Avenue. A white house with a green roof, I think it is. And we lived in that house in 1911. And that's when and that house is still now. That's uh, mother always said she liked that house. Now. It's still uh, here, and I don't. I think they should mark that one as a special place because uh, uh, it's it's interesting. I know that I've never been back in it, but as I re remembered as a child, and uh, but when we moved to Bonnie Dune, as I said, and uh, my twin brothers were born in Bonnie Dune, and it was after they were born that the fire was in the shop, and it was rebuilt. And this, after we left Edmonton, uh, Uncle Fred continued the shop till about 40, oh, in the middle of the 30s at least. And, uh, and then towards uh, the end of that, he, he sold some of the property to the Burns Company for the creamery. And that's where they had the Southside Creamery, uh, where they had the Mellow Moor, uh, Do you remember where that uh, creamery was? When? Where it was? Well, it was where we, our shop was. Been. In fact, it was behind. We still had the. Um, they've added to the building, At and uh, White and One O One. Uh, yes, yeah, still a One O One. Well, it would be One O One, whatever the number would be, yes. uh, on the uh, south side of the street. Uh, where did you move to? Did you say uh, when you uh, left here? Oh, well, we, we uh, <laughs> I think my parents must have been brave. They <laughs> left Edmonton in April 1918 and went to a farm between Viking and Ranfurlig in the Laurendale district. The property had was owned by a Mr. Hutton who lived in Clover Bar. He had bought several bits of land because his son-in-law was living there. And we bought, my dad bought this half section from Mr. Hutton. And the reason they bought it, they weren't going to buy a piece of property with buildings on it. They wanted to have buildings their way. <laughs> well, the idea is good, but they had four children and they moved down in April. Of course, as a child, I was boasting to the kids at school, you know, I'm going to go to a farm, how wonderful it would be. Well, you know, getting to a farm in those days, we moved everything down by train in a boxcar. They took um, uh, the furniture and some animals, some machinery, and uh, I think it was the Grand Trunk Pacific. I went to Rand Furley. And when we got to Rand Furley, the twins were three, and you know, active little boys. My sister hadn't started school. She'd be about five, and I was eight, I guess, coming I mean, nine. Anyway, we, we didn't go directly to the farm because uh, my dad had rented a, a shack or a, 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 a house. They called it a shack, two big rooms uh, from a farmer who wasn't using it. 
and it had some buildings, some outer buildings on it, where we spent the summer uh, while they were building on our property. And uh, while they were unloading our goods from uh, Ram Fernie, we stayed in, in, Ed, in uh, Ram Fernie. Well, the stopping house, as they called it, uh, and we had a couple or three rooms, I suppose, for at least two rooms. And uh, Mother had a great time keeping an eye on these twins because they were building this building yet. And, uh, I, and it was spring of the year. There wasn't any sidewalks and mucky and whatnot. <laughs> Ethel and I were just busy taking care of the twins, and the twins loved to pick up the bits and pieces off the floor. And, uh, well, I remember crying and saying to Mom, I think we should go back to Edmonton. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I think she perhaps thought so, yes. too. <laughs> so you lived out there and for, what, until um, about nine years? Did you know about that? And, uh, it was 1825. Seven, seven years. Seven years, right. So where did you receive your education? Oh, well, I started school in Rutherford, and I've gone back there to talk to children about the old times. <laughs> and I walked carefully up those steps, because I can remember I walking up those steps in grade one. And it was one, two, three years there. In fact, grade, I started grade four. And uh, then... Uh, we moved to the farm, and this rural situation was another story. Had to walk about four miles for for that. From April would be like from May and June, uh, because the shack we were living in, um, it it was adequate as far as living was concerned, but uh, it was so far from the school. So the neighbors had children going and my dad had a Democrat brought sent down from Edmonton so the boys the Dorwood boys could take me along with their sister and uh, uh, us to school and the, 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 the parents worked this out which was very nice um, and so then I got acquainted to a rural school all this I could never get stars because Actually, the teacher put me a grade ahead to fit in with two or three other children that she had, and they were two years older than me. And needless to say, I didn't <coughs> fit in very well. Uh, and uh, then I failed, or, or the other two, other three went on, and then I was put back with another group, which I was my age group, and which was more sensible. So. This sort of um, break in your education system, uh, you are learning a lot besides being in a rural school. They didn't have music, and I liked music, and um, I could use uh, take the uh, tuning fork and get the note and get right on with it, but they didn't know what I was talking about, uh, kids. Now, I know that eventually you became a teacher. Yeah. So where did you get the, that education? Well, you see, we, after the community we moved into, were really a very progressive people. Uh, and by folks, uh, because it fro there was a frost that fall, instead of having a good crop, they didn't. And so they got busy and built themselves a house. And I'm always amazed to think how well they, they really had a, must have had a struggling time. But, but there's one thing to be said about them. I can't ever remember them grumbling and complaining. They took each day as it came, and they were always quite, well, as far as we were, we were not abused at all as children. I can't, I've always felt that we were, I've had a very secure home back. Uh, well, at Laurendale School, we had basically good teachers and they taught up to grade, uh, grade 10. And there was eight of us, or six of us in that particular class. And when we passed grade 10, we had to write final exams in those days. Um, I had an aunt uh, that wanted someone to, what they call a schoolgirl, to stay with them, go to school, and help with the housework. 
And that and others in this broadcast had something similar. So we came to Edmonton. I, was, I left home, well, not willingly in a sense. My, I, I was well taken care of. My parents uh, agreed that I could go and so on. Anyway, I went to Victoria High School to, for grade 11. And I didn't pass all the class. Going back to the city after in the country, that was another uh, sort of a big change. So the, the next year, I decided that I should repeat grade 11. Now, I didn't really need to do all that, but I did. And then this time, I worked for another friend of my folks. Um, and I went to Skona High School and got my grade 11. Incidentally, by this time, our family, because of being burnt out, and not burnt out, but a prairie fire came across and burned our barn and a huge stack of hay, which was quite disastrous for our family. And, uh, and they also had uh, poor crops. <coughs> they decided to come back to Edmonton and gave up that other farm. But my father was still interested in farming, so he rented farms just east of Edmonton, on uh, what just outside the city limits. And in the meantime, he was raising hogs and chickens and so on for a living. And uh, I was going to high school, staying at uh, this person's place, a uh, schoolgirl helping with the housework and getting a board and room which was very nice. I stayed with a very nice family on the south side. Well, then a lot of us, when we came to end of grade 11, we thought we were tired of school. We wanted to get to work. And there was two things a girl, well, three things a girl could do. You could be a teacher, you could be a nurse, trained for a nurse, or a stenographer. Well, I wasn't interested in stenographic. I had one aunt that was a nurse and one that was a teacher, and I liked them both. And I wasn't too sure which one I should really do, but uh, I'd like to follow. But it turned out that we had a came high school one day if we wanted to go to normal or what we would do. And so I applied to go to normal school. And the little book that I still have, which says you could go to, and we had to go to Camrose, by the way, because there wasn't a normal school in Edmonton. Uh, uh, for $25, and you could borrow $300 from the, from the uh, government to help you with your finances. And $25 was our f um, fee for the year. And that took you from middle of September till 1st of June, early June. And um, I remember that summer I was at home. We were on this acreage just east of Edmund, about 51st Street now. And my dad was, had a lot of hogs he was raising, and then at uh, six months or whatever it was, they sold them. And that was the pig money was to help to me to get to normal. Well, one of my chores during that summer was bringing buttermilk from the creamery that had been built behind our shop. So I, and they had these great big barrels of buttermilk on this wagon. And, of course, they had a way of loading it in through spouts and all. I didn't have to do that. All I had to do was drive the horse. <coughs> well, one day, driving down White Avenue, going east, going home with his buttermilk, all of a sudden there was a bang on the street, and the, the iron uh, around the one of the wheels came off. I was horrified. I do. And there was streetcars. That's when we had streetcars going out to Bonnie Doon. There was a few cars and of course lots of horses and things like that. Well, I happened to stop and just before you get to the Mill Creek Bridge, there was two little shops and I'd never been in a shop. I knew it was there, but I'd seen it several times. And I said to the man, could I use the telephone? because I was going to phone home to see what I was doing. And these, there was another older man sitting in there talking to this man. Oh, yes, you could use the phone, no problem. Well, I said, you know, 
my tires come off, the metals come off. Oh, one young fellow chuckled. That happens lots of times. He wasn't a bit worried about that. Well, where is it? And he went outside, the two of them went outside, and they proceeded to put the metal on. I was so relieved. I just... <laughs> what a lovely story. Thank you. Um, well, teaching... We went to normal. Yes. Was that just one year? One year, Camrose Normal School equipped you. You had to be girls had to be seventeen, boys had to be eighteen. And after one year of intense study, <laughs> we graduated full fledged teachers. And by the way, this year, our class is celebrating sixty five years out of normal school at the old timers cabin. On the 3rd of June, I happen to be in charge, well, one of the ones helping to arrange this. So we are proud of the fact that of the 300, there'll be, uh, oh, there's at least 50 or 60 going to be there. So this was in 19... We graduated in 1920, we went 1926-27. We graduated in 27. And this is our 65th year out of normal. Interesting, we've, yes. this group is more or less... Well, we came from around Edmonton Way, and that's part of it. Well, then, of course, when you're a full qualified teacher, well... <laughs> Was it difficult to find work at that time? Well, that particular year, I think most of us were able to get work. I was situated at Cooking Lake. There was a school called Franklin School, about a mile from the lake, and... Uh, I got this school, uh, and now, oh, well, it was only 10 miles from home, because we, by this time, had a farm about 16 miles east of Edmonton, which is now all acreages, by the way. Houses my brothers had taken, one of the brothers had taken over the farm. You were living with your parents at this time? Uh, up to that, I didn't live with my parents at at that school, because it was they were ten no. miles away, I and ten miles was like a hundred miles in those days. The way I got home once in a while was by uh, horseback. I rode the horses a lot, rode a lot, and but I didn't have my own horse, of course. Uh, uh, but ten miles was a long way, so I never got home weekends. Uh, but uh, when I was out there, by the way, the uh, school board were pretty stingy. Well, they weren't stingy. I think the man who was the secretary treasurer decided that this 18-year-old didn't know very much. So my first check, instead of giving me $84, I got $50. And I thought, why? Well, he said, you know, you'll get the rest of Christmas time. We just don't want you to spend your money foolishly. Well, I had to pay $30 for board and room, and uh, uh, that left me $20. And I thought, you know, that's not very much, even in those days. Anyway, Christmas time, they paid me the full amount, $84 a month. It was $840 a year, $840, a big salary. Eventually, you moved on to work in Laduke. Well, uh, I taught in rural schools. Um, well, I taught 44 years. Uh, but um, in other words, my whole life was teaching school. But I was in the rural schools, uh, one-room school, what they call one-room. And then I got to a two-room school, which was, uh, first of all, Wimbledon, uh, just out of Edmonton here for six years. Then I went to Luma, which is further, I go on the train down to Luma for three years. And then I took a year off and got grade 12 because I felt that I should have, I said to who get the job, the first class or second class? Well, first class, of course. So, and I had gone out of grade 11. And instead of trying to do it by a bit of piecemeal, I, I took a year off and went to a Red Deer Nazarene College where they gave high school. And uh, then I went back, 
rural school teaching. But in the meantime, I was going to summer school, summer after summer after summer. And I decided home economics, but this time in 20, uh, let me see, about early 40s, they were getting composite schools in, in Alberta. And they were developing, so they had a shop and uh, home economics. And I was interested in home economics. When I come out of normal, Miss Patrick had, uh, well, I had a one, uh, one year, I mean one week, as a farm young pe people's, uh, it used to happen every year uh, under Mr. Audible. And uh, it was at the university, and I was very impressed with this Mabel Patrick. Well, let me better take, I'm going to stop you there while I turn the I'm sorry, we were interrupted. Would you continue starting? Well, I remember Mother had belonged to Junior, to the women's uh, farm, what was it called? UFA, only it was a women's farm, W, yeah, Women's United Farmers of Alberta. And these women used to sponsor or help sponsor the junior UFA, uh, which was an organization of young farm people, and they were given a week, uh, well, they weren't given, they were paid $12, by the way, to stay at the university at Athabasca Hall for a week. And they gave you an interesting week of uh, uh, showing you around the university and that sort of thing which I found very interesting because Mother said she put my name in uh, and I was just out of normal and it made it like a, a bit of a holiday to go to this wonderful place, the university. I was so impressed and stay in Athabasca Hall. Uh, there wasn't any Pembina Halls as I remember, well maybe there was, I'm not sure, but Anyway, uh, I A. E. Ottawa was the man who was in charge of this business, and we met all these important people like Miss Patrick, who was in charge of home economics, and I don't know all the other people. But one thing we did: we went to the Lieutenant Governor's uh, place for afternoon tea one day, and we all uh, were told to put on our best bib and. Yeah, well, actually, there were people from the city, apparently, who had arranged to take us over by cars. There was over a hundred young people. And uh, we were met by the Egberts, Mr. and Mrs. Egbert, and their daughter, and shown around the place and uh, had afternoon tea with them. And, you know, that's when they had a conservatory. Now, that was in 1927. And uh, Was that the government conference center that we have now? The, the big stone building in the museum grounds? Yeah, yeah, so, well, it was their home, yes. the, the government. Uh, uh, the the left, left hand governors always lived there till in the uh, 30s when uh, the uh, social credit took over because they felt, well, there were several reasons why. But uh, I can remember being there with the conservatory, and I was so impressed with the lovely blue room as well as the... Uh, and then we saw, they took us around upstairs and so on. But I, one of my friends went to, North, went to summer school. She was a niece of the Egberts, and she said, you know, it's, it's a difficult job. And I learned a little bit about it on the other side a few years later. Getting back to North the courses that you were taking in the summertime at... Well, uh, that was the first out of normal school, so I didn't take any courses that year. This was just this one week. But when I taught the first year, I was quite interested in little children. I thought they were such delightful people. So I took a primary special 
and after for two years and then it seemed like I was always going back to summer school but it was it wasn't until the 40s after I'd been to taken a year off to take grade 12 and that I went back to uh, that I started taking what they call university courses because before 1939 you had to have two basic languages, uh, you had to have a English plus another basic language to go to university. And I only had English. I never had an opportunity to study French. So, uh, that is, work it in. So, then when it was open, this was during the war years, I was started in. Uh, and I said to him, when I was staying in St. Stephen's that summer, I came upstairs and I said, Guess what I'm doing? I'm going to graduate. I'm going to graduate from a Bachelor of Education. I said, I don't know when. Probably I'll be so old and discrepant, I'll have to walk up the aisle with my <laughs> with a, what, with a cane or something. Well, it turned out <laughs> I majored in home economics. And about that time, they were wanting teachers in home economics particularly teachers. So, um, and in, in the meantime, I was, uh, the school I had was at home. Uh, I was taught the home school, which is Fultondale, where my parents had moved to way back in 26, 20, yeah, 26, 27. And this was now 43. This is quite a few years later. Well, our um, inspector, and then it was called superintendent of schools, said to me, how would, I, uh, well, how would I like to teach in the city? Well, I said, I hadn't thought about it. But he said, I've, I got a, somebody wants to know if, if there was a teacher, and I knew a teacher would be interested in teaching in university hospital. Well, I said, I think that would be interesting. I wouldn't mind teaching there. So he put my name in, and I guess uh, between that and I applied for the job, and it turned out that this, what they call Junior Hospital League women, paid for um, my keep, because it wasn't at that time, the school was not under Edmonton, and so for two years I taught at the University Hospital. Uh, all grades, of course, and uh, it was during the polio years. But by this time, polio was being taken care of. Well, they weren't in so long, although I had some children there. Well, some never got out, and some did. Among the boys I had there, uh, Kenny uh, Kirsch, he uh, is teaching Edmonton. Uh, uh, so uh, uh, now, well. Uh, about did that last two years? Two years. Two years, and that would have been 1943. 45 to 47. Well, the superintendent of schools that had recommended me to go to that place, I went to a convention. He said, uh, I said to him, what is the possibility of teaching home economics? Because by this time, I was taking courses in home economics. I had what they called a junior certificate. Well, the Duke, well, he, he, keep it in mind, well, in the spring of 47, he phoned me up one day, would I be interested in going to the Duke? Well, I thought I would. wasn't too far out and, uh, as a home economics teacher. So he took me out one spring and day, and uh, we, I saw the situation from the, it was quite a difference from the hospital, a muddy day, and a nice clean hospital, it's a sort of contrast, but the result was I was hired by Leduc. Uh, yeah. How were you to get to Leduc? Oh well, I didn't. Uh, I had learned to. I had a car, by the way, uh, when I was twenty. I paid one hundred twenty-five dollars for a Model T, four-door sedan. We rode like kings and queens, and I had that car for many years. And then, uh, well, we had a family car, 
for the years that I was at the home uh, teaching, and that was during the, some during the war years, and everybody was saving on gas and whatnot. And then when I came to the city to teach at the hospital, I didn't need a car. But when I was at the point of going to the Duke, well, you could get there by train. I hoped that you could get a commuter ticket, but oh no, they don't do that. They do that in the East, but they don't do it in the West. Well, why not? I want to know. But they didn't give me any answer. However, I'd go down every morning. I ran over to the, I was living on the south side, near the Strathcona. Strathcona. I was uh, uh, actually living on uh, 109th Street here and uh, 83rd Avenue. So it wasn't, I'd often take a bus or, uh, and uh, I would get on the train 8 o'clock. The train always went down at 8 o'clock in the morning go to the Duke and get off and run up and walk up to the school. It was quite a little walk, but I was doing this regularly. And uh, in the evening, twice a week, there was a Thorsby Special came back to Edmonton. So Thorsby Special would bring us back Tuesday and Thursday. And one of the men who taught at the Duke, his father often called on Friday, would take anybody else into town, and that would be me. <laughs> there was only five of us in the high school at the Duke at that time. And did you all live in Edmonton? Well, I lived in Edmonton. The principal lived at the Duke. There was another lady who had, had been living in the Duke, but she had... Uh, I moved to Edmonton because she was planning to stop teaching. But they needed an extra teacher, so she came. And and uh, Ross, the other boy that his father used to call occasionally, he, uh, Ross Bishop, did you know the bishops? Anyway, um, he was in his first year teaching, and they sometimes took me down too. But... Uh, he lived in the Duke during the week. And then there was another man that lived in the Duke. So I was the only one really, com well, there was two of us commuting, but the uh, Bullocks, they took me for six weeks, and I offered to pay them and so on, but they didn't choose to have me all the time, and I was too proud to say, please take me. So you were an early commuter. Yeah, I guess uh, people didn't realize that I was commuting because I kept very quiet about it. And, but I, there actually wasn't much. You see, that was the year the oil blew in at the Duke in the spring, February. And uh, the trip must have taken some time in those days, especially with all the weather conditions that you must have run into. Well, it's hard to think back now. <laughs> um, Well, I'd have to leave home shortly after half past seven because we had to get the eight o'clock train. And they were always pretty well on time as far as that goes. And it'd take about 20 minutes to get to the Duke. It didn't take any length of time to. Uh, well, I know I'd be there by half past eight and I could be at school another 15 minutes. It'd take the best part of an hour, all right. Do you have some interesting memories of trips down there? <laughs> well, yes, yeah, several. Oh. Um, when I come back on that, what we call the Thorsby Special, I'd always buy my double ticket, you see. It would happen to be, what was it, um, I think a dollar a day or something like that. Or, or, or was it 50 cents? It, it was really quite reasonable. But, um, of course, it mounted quite a bit when you think about in terms of 25 days. But some days coming back, the conductor never came through the car. And I remember saying to one time, you know, you didn't pick my ticket up. Who said that? No. Whose ticket? Afterwards, I got several free rides. Uh, they, they got to know who I was. I didn't say they did always, but... Uh, and uh, the next year, I was to teach at Calmer. Uh, and so the Shaw, as well as the Duke, we were a traveling teacher. 
And that's when I had to, um, and I got a car about, uh, I was about a year and a half without a car. Then I was able to get a car. And uh, that, uh, one time I remember, I can't remember why, I didn't have the car at that point anyway, and the shop man uh, was, they were talking with the uh, principal, so we didn't get back to the Duke in time for me to get the regular train. And I had to get back to the city, so when they took me up to the station, there was a freight in. I said, could I ride on, the, would they take me? Well, they would, they unwillingly, they took me. Uh, so I ran in the caboose. So. <laughs> And and uh, and they, now they said when we got to the city, we're stopping the train outside. It's, you know, we're not going up to the station. You better get off now. The men were nice enough, and no problem. But you know, they're not really supposed to ride that way. Good job, you ride back. Do you remember your starting salary? Yeah. Out there because this would be getting into what 1947. Uh, oh, you mean starting at the Duke? The Duke, yeah. So yeah, hundred. salary starting to come up. Um, uh, the girls gave me, I think I was going to get 2000 a year. Now, was the salary adequate oh. for living and entertaining at this time? Yeah, that'd be 120, wouldn't it? Something like that. That doesn't sound right to my... <laughs> sounds very little, but... <laughs> But I know it. Uh, instead of uh, you see, we started eight forty, and then I went down in the middle thirties as far as five fifty. Uh, when I was teaching at Luma, mm -hmm. uh, five fifty, and the lady at, uh, at, um, where we boarded, she, I ch she charged me fourteen dollars, and the other girl got six hundred uh, five uh, sixty yeah, six hundred. She charged her sixteen dollars. And uh, we both knew that, but then that was all right because of the salary. Yeah, everybody was in the same boat, and we even got paid. Some people didn't. And, yeah, I think it was about 120. I know it was a little bit more at the Duke. Then, of course, I had to consider traveling. Um, it's hard to remember some of these prices. So, so what sort of things were you able to do after work on this salary? I mean, well, I know when I was traveling on the train back and forth, um, that's when I was marking papers all the time. It seems because uh, I had to teach, besides teaching home economics, I had to teach some uh, other grade nine and ten classes, and so that took marking, and I was. I was fortunate, though. The principal was very considerate as far as he questioned what courses I would prefer to teach, which is sometimes they don't get that choice, but I was fortunate to have a certain amount of that. But did you belong to some organizations? Yes. Um, in well, I've always belonged to a church, and uh, uh, well, my people went to Metropolitan Church in the early days. My family did, and Fred Geary's family always went to Knox. So uh, later on, when I'd be visiting Uncle Fred sometimes, I'd be sitting in the Knox Church. And, uh, of course, my father uh, well remembers the time when um, Knox, uh, when Metropolitan was an early, in fact, he was a Sunday school superintendent for a while there. and then. When they had burning of the mortgage, which is in, uh, I think, 1940, the Knox people apparently got their mortgage over earlier, but Metropolitan had quite a struggle. So it wasn't until about 1940 they finally burned the mortgage, and then the next year it burned down. And I remember us going to the burning of the mortgage from the farm, uh, I forget, I just remember my dad saying, oh, there's a lot of white-haired heads in the audience, and of course his was getting white by then, too. But 
he died in 42, so it was before that that they burned the mortgage and, and then Metropolitan moved to where it is today. What, what sort of role would you say the church played? Was an important role in your life? Uh, well, mother and my life? parents were always very devout. Well, mother, well, my father, they were very, I would say, devout Christian people. They weren't ones that made a lot of noise about it, but they were very, uh, uh, well, it, it meant a lot to their life. Uh, and their life. And we, we also... Uh, I've, it's been important in my life, too. Uh, socially? Well, um, I belong to the Home Economics uh, uh, Club in Edmonton, and then I joined the Business and Professional Women's Club. Uh, Econo home Economics, was that attached to the university? Yeah, it, well, it was um, not so much university. It was, well, the Home Economics people, uh, graduates of university. Yeah, they were all home economic graduates. Now, I, my certificate eventually was, uh, I got a degree in um, education, uh, and I have what they call a certificate, uh, a junior and senior certificate in home economics. So I'm not a home economic graduate. I'm an education graduate. Uh, uh, but they were glad to have us, especially the school, because we understood the teaching part as well. And I think uh, I was relatively, well, I, let me see, I, one, two, three, I had started three home economics school rooms. I mean, when I moved into the Duke, when I went there first, it was in the basement. So I got out of the basement into another room, then I moved to another room, and uh, they've even had other ones since then from, from the Duke. And then I also started the uh, Calmer Home Economics. It seemed like I was always uh, in on the building of these and equipping and so on. And that's in the earlier days. Nowadays, it's an entirely different story. You said you also belonged to the Business and Professional Women's Club. Pardon? You said you belonged to the yeah. Business and Women's Professional Club. Uh, uh, BN, well, we call it. Really the start of that? Oh, yeah, it started way back in about 23, BNP. And I've been a member uh, since 48, um, I guess. I'm still a member, but we're with the retired group now. <laughs> Same with Home Economics. And then I belong to University uh, at the moment, I've been on the on the board with the Bible Society, Canadian Bible Society. Been off and on that board a few times. And uh, what sort of things did business and professional ones club do? Well, they were basically interested in uh, uh, in women. Uh, it was started about 1923. I think, uh, hopefully, to help women in business to be recognized and to get equal pay for equal, uh, that's one of the things they were interested, basically, in equal pay for equal work. And nothing against the men working and all, but to be at least recognized. And, of course, some places they are, some places they aren't. In fact, you know, one time women were always... Uh, uh, lower paid. They'd get more women than they'd pay them lower. And, and that was part of the thing that uh, and the women were opposed to. They wanted to have the, uh, equal pay for the, uh, for the kind of work that they do. Uh, when it's compared with men, they should get the same. I don't know how to express that quite, but... Um. Having lived in this area for a long time, I'm sure you have many other fun memories. Would you like to share some of them with us? Like I have notes of um, the um, McIntyre Fountain. How do you remember seeing that? Oh yeah, McIntyre. That was a must. In fact, it was a pity when when he went one day and said, "Where is that fountain?" I think it was, it, it was gone when t some of the time we were out of town, but. 
the Uncle Fred's lived very close. They lived in 83rd Avenue. And we'd go by this back and forth to the library, to the church, and it was uh, something you... And I remember my dad, lots of times, that's where the horses stopped to have a drink. That was... Uh, people, well, we drank too, but it was always... I was thinking where the horses could get a drink as well. It has been replaced. Yes. Yes, and I, I made sure that the Geary's had a brick there. <laughs> yeah. and, and is it as you remember it? Yes, I think it is. Uh, you know, uh, your mind, uh, uh, at any rate, I thought it was nice to think that they would uh, do that, because that's been an institution since, uh, well, in the early days especially. Tell me about the Princess Theater. It must have been part of your life. Yeah, I remember how. In fact, I still have it. Uh, and I must have been about grade two. Uh, the Princess Theater was, was up the street from where our shop was. And I suppose we went there once in a while. I know Uncle Fred's were quite good attenders. Once a week, I think, they went to the show there. but. We were told uh, that in in the Edmonton Journal they had a they had a children's section, and it said if you wrote to the farmer, and one time that and if your letter was published, you would get a free pass to the Princess Theatre. And I don't know, of course, whether I read all this out or whether my mother or father did. But anyway, um, I sat down and wrote about our bird. Apparently, we had a canary bird at the time. And I had written about my bird and how my brother's mother was careful that, uh, to clean this cage. And, and uh, we had a... I'm trying to think. Something that we tried that. It, it was sometimes the bird was allowed to be out fly around, but be careful and nothing, they didn't lose it. Anyway, whatever this letter was, I wrote. The letter was published, and so that meant I, and I guess I got a free pass. Uh, and uh, so I went to the this theater, and I was, of course, very pleased to think I was going to go to the theater. And they had a very nice I still remember it was a play about uh, a girl who was lining up the children in the block and, and they were soldiers and whatnot. <clears throat> I suppose it was something to do with war. I, all I can remember is thinking how colorful it was and all. And of course, it was all a silent picture. I don't remember about the writing on it, but I do remember this, whatever this wonderful story was about, it impressed me. <laughs> Would you like to tell us about the whited out windows at the Chinese home? Oh, uh, my dad used to, my mother, the twins were uh, born in 1915, and I think sometimes uh, uh, we had a woman who came and helped her with some of the cleaning and all, and I think sometimes when she felt there was too many white shirts, or my dad would occasionally get the Chinese next door, the Chinese laundry, to... Um, to do the washing. And I could always remember walking past that place. It wasn't a very big building. It was quite a small, like, shack-like. But uh, it was always on the window. You, you couldn't see in. It was definitely a white, whatever it was, a white wall. Uh, I don't know what they did. They probably, I don't suppose it was paint, uh, what they would put on. Anyway, you never could look in. But the shirts always turned out nice and clean, so no, nothing to complain about. I can remember, too, um, uh, when I was a child, wanting to drive the horses. And my father, uh, because we had, we, had, um, uh, we delivered meat with, with horses to the people. They'd phone in their orders, and it was, so we had delivery boys, but they took the tea, the horse, horse and wagon or whatever it was, car. In fact, they had what they called a, um, 
placard, uh, two wheel would be a cart, yeah, because we they sent this down to us on the farm, and we sometimes took that to school for uh, four of us to ride in. Was this an open cart? Yeah, no. I have a picture of it, I think, somewhere, and. Uh, but I remember one time with my dad, I wanted to, and he showed me how to hold the reins, what you're supposed to do, and so on, when you're driving horses. And I was quite impressed with this. <laughs> that when we went to the farm, one of the first things he did was show me how to saddle the horse. Uh, the pr horse we had was Prince. And uh, many, Prince and I did many a mile together because I rode horseback. But the first time I, when the folks were away and I decided to go over to the Dorberts on my own, I was about, just after I learned to saddle and Prince was there and all, I put the saddle on and had a great deal of struggle and, t and tied the, and, and, and tied it up. Well, I got to the Dorberts and I said to Mr. Dorbert, you know, the saddle's kind of loose. My goodness, Gail, I'm wondering you got here at all. <laughs> I didn't have the saddle tight <laughs> enough. <laughs> well, it's just about noon, Miss Geary, and I do want to thank you very much. It's time to end this interview that you have added greatly to our knowledge and memories of old Strathbone. Thank you very much. Thank you. This material is a digitized audio recording from the holdings of the City of Edmonton Archives. For more information regarding the recording, please contact us by email at cms.archives at edmonton.ca, by phone at 780-496-8711, or on our online catalog at cityarchives.edmonton.ca.